Hello and welcome to the Fortune and Freedom podcast, where Nigel Farage and Nikolai Hubble give you a unique take on what's really going on in the world of finance, investing and politics. We hope you sit back and enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome to This Week in Review with Rob Marstrand from UK Independent Wealth. Rob, this week has been all about central banks. Lots of central banks around the world have been making lots of weird and wonderful decisions, surprising markets, causing them to surge and plunge. And I'm quite sick of it. Quite frankly, this is all I've ever known ever since I started in finance. It's been all about what central bankers are doing, trying to guess what QE or QT or interest rate hikes or interest rate cuts are going to be has determined pretty much everything that's happened in financial markets. They can even make bad news into good news, as the famous saying goes. My question to you is not so much what the Bank of England is going to do uh, today as we record this. It's more about the nature of the world when all we ever talk about and think about as investors is central banks. Do you think it's leading somewhere or do you think it's going to continue or do you think it's healthy or unhealthy? How do you feel about the whole situation? Hi, Nick. Um, I'm also fed up with having to think or listen or hear about uh, central banks. Um, they're far too um, central to all the, all the noise about markets. Um, everyone seems to have forgotten about the good old business of um, you know, looking at companies and how much money they're making and, and how they're likely to do in future. Um, look, the price of money is important, uh, but since the global financial crisis, by, by price of money, I mean, I mean interest rates. So it does affect everything in the investment world and, uh, and indeed uh, has a big effect in the economy. Um, but it, can, it, it, it sort of got to extremes in, in the last decade. Uh, we, after the global financial crisis, we got to such artificially absurd interest rates and bond yields, you know, with trillions of dollars worth of bonds with negative yields. So you were you were basically paying for the privilege of lending to the government, which is obviously an absurd situation to be in. It's all rather surreal, quite frankly. Um, so I think that was a large part of the reason why, particularly in the USA, um, there was a bubble in the stock market. And there's no question there was a bubble in the stock market. In fact, there still is. It's still deflating. And that was caused by this very, very cheap money um, because... Um, People seem to have lost the plot and think that that's some sort of, sort of real reference price. So, so I suppose just stepping back, you know, in the old days, uh, the good old days, you might say, um, bond markets and such like were um, influenced by investors, the so-called bond vigilantes. And if, if uh, governments and central banks misbehave, printed too much money, spent too much money, um, bond yields would go up and prices would fall and, and everything would be brought back in line. It would be like, you know, it'd be like sort of... Um, the the the, uh, the the markets were sort of punishing the naughty government or the naughty central bank and bringing them back into line, but we went, we we lost that uh, that control, and and all the all the bond markets became uh, very artificial, and uh, this flew, sort of spilt over into stock markets and for that matter house house markets as well. I think prices have been absurd again um, with ultra low ultra cheap mortgages, and of course uh, the pain. Um, is is coming now because not because interest rates are high they're not they're actually sort of reasonably normal in fact they're still on the low side uh, the pain has come because because the um, interest rates have, have moved so quickly and that has is maybe what's shocking people what's the reckoning here because I mean there's a reason why we didn't 
rely on central banks to finance governments and why we didn't rely on central banks to print as much money as banks might need. What is wrong with pursuing the course that I would say society, not just the economy or financial markets, are pursuing? Um, well, what's wrong with it is um, that you usually end up with inflation and or you know some sort of currency crisis if you allow either central banks or politicians to just play fast and loose with the with the money supply. Um, you know, I'm talking to you from from Argentina. And uh, we've had very high inflation here for, for years. Um, and when I say high inflation, I don't mean 10% a year. I mean 50% plus a year. And this year, probably going to be 80% uh, or even as high as, as 100%. Um, it's not quite sure. We're, we're never quite sure because our monthly inflation is somewhere between 6 and 8% at the moment. So, um, you know, uh, it's quite impressive. And that's caused by, um, you know, bad government and bad central banks. It's caused by... Um, you know, printing, basically, the the emission of money is massive here, and, and that causes inflation. But the politicians never face up to it. And they, they put price caps on things and capital controls and fiddle around. I think we've got seven or eight different uh, exchange rates, depending on, on how you're trying to change money and in which direction between pesos and dollars. And governments do this stuff and, set, and, and um, don't admit the real problem. And I, I, unfortunately, sadly, I think Europe including the UK and the USA are drifting in that very unhealthy direction of more and more uh, involvement by central banks, but also by governments, sort of things like policy lending, deciding where money gets put, you know, very sort of communist Soviet or Maoist sort of idea of running economies. Um, so directing funds to, to um, favoured causes, whatever those might be, um, handing out more and more cheap money, and we'll see more of that, I think, as we get uh, more populist left-wing governments in many countries, including poss possibly the UK quite soon. Um, and it's it's not a good direction of travel, to be honest. Um, but sadly, I think we're going to see more of it until we see some massive crisis or crises in some of these countries, and everyone gets that, you know, they get, get whipped a bit again by the markets and uh, realise they're going to have to grow up and start making some proper decisions, act like adults again. It sounds like you're expecting this to get worse before they get better. One of the things that I've been focusing on the last few weeks is a lot of analysis talking about what decade we're in, what decade it's comparable to. Is it like the 70s because it's high inflation and energy crisis? Is it like the 40s because of financial repression? Uh, and there's a couple of other comparisons with the tech bubble in 2008 and so on and so forth, the Asian financial crisis. And it seems to me that we're ticking all the boxes. While everybody else is arguing about which decade you know, the 2020s resemble most, it seems to me that we've got all the problems. We've got the debt from the 40s, which we didn't have in the 70s. We've got the inflation of the 70s. We've got the financial repression of the 40s and 50s. We've got the Asian financial crisis issues with this instability of currencies and sovereign debt. Um, we've got the European sovereign debt crisis still simmering. And we've got the, the tech bubble valuations, which have come down quite a bit, but they're still very high. So it seems to me that we've got all of the problems of the last 100 years, financial problems, sort of bundled into one moment, the energy crisis, I miss the energy crisis, all bundled up into one moment. Do you think that that creates the, the risk of things really breaking down even worse than in any of those periods in the past? So could inflation be worse than the 70s, financial repression worse than the 40s, and so on and so forth? Um, 
I don't know whether inflation will be worse than the 70s, but what but the the outcome might be worse than the 70s. And uh, so what I mean is that that inflation is now reasonably high. Uh, let's say, you know, it's high single digits or, or low, low double digits in most developed countries with a couple of exceptions like Japan, but even that's starting to creep up there. Um, but the problem is uh, something you alluded to, which is that the debt levels are so absolutely through the roof in all of these countries. This is both, this is government debts, household debts and corporate debts. And so, you know, to contain inflation, interest rates have to go up to disincentivize new borrowing. But the trouble is that huge um, existing pile of debt eventually has to be refinanced. Now, some of it will be on fixed rates or, or it'll be things like corporate bonds where they don't have to be refinanced until maturity, which might be at any time over coming years. But at some point that has to happen. Now, if, if, if uh, a big corporation has a lot of debt and it's managed to borrow at 3%, let's say, and um, for five years, and it has to roll that off and, and then re-borrow to refinance and pay off the, the old debt at, say, 6 or 7%, uh, that could be a you know pretty pretty big crimp on their on their profits, and that's this is going to happen left, right, and centre. It's also going to happen to small businesses. Uh, I feel very sorry for the um, the small businesses that had to take on very big debts to to tide them over during COVID, uh, when lockdowns occurred and they basically had to shut their doors uh, to customers. And they're suddenly going to find that their their interest bills are going to rocket because um, interest rates are now shooting up. Um. So, so I suspect the, the inflation does, this is my guess, because also you never quite know what the central banks and governments are going to do. You can only have a best guess of what they're going to do. But I suspect that, that inflation creeps up a little bit more in coming months. It probably starts drifting down again next year. But we're in a higher inflationary environment generally. So, you know, we might have many, many years of inflation between, say, 3% and 6% a year, that sort of range. Interest rates will be a bit higher than they are currently. Um, but they won't go to the point, I don't think, where they'll bring inflation down to the target 2% that's meant to exist. Ha ha. Um, that's unlikely to happen because it's going to just destroy the economy. You know, when when people's mortgages go from 2% to suddenly 6% or 7% or 8%, uh, people are, households are not going to be able to keep their homes. There'll be a lot of repossessions. There'll be a house price crash. Companies are going to go bust. Uh, and governments are going to find that refinancing their old debts or covering their new deficits will just become too expensive. So, so that's what I mean. The damage could be very bad without necessarily the inflation being as extreme as the as the 1970s. We've had a lot of spending, government spending through welfare and, and other forms of government spending, a lot of spending on homes and, and lifestyles financed by debt. So it's deficits. If the worm turns because of higher interest rates and suddenly governments can't run those deficits or the interest bill is, is you know, taking away from their government spending, suddenly our, our standard of living is falling because we're spending more money on mortgages. What, what happens politically and socially there? I mean, it, again, you live in Argentina, so this is going to be unusually interesting, but there must be quite a few elements of, of social breakdown. I remember I was in Spain many years ago chatting to an Argentinian who'd recently traveled back uh, in order to set up his pension receipts to be sent to Spain. And he spent, you know, it was really just a trip to go and see the family because we worked out that the the value of the pension transfer was going to be about 10 euros a month because of all the inflation and devaluation. 
Now he was fine. He was he was you know well enough off. But there's a lot of people who aren't. And if if the same thing starts to play out in places like Europe and the UK and the US, I mean, doesn't this lead to some pretty nasty political scenarios? Yeah, sure. Uh, well, they'll they'll probably print more money for for starters because that's how they'll tide themselves over in the short term. And the money once printed and given straight to the government um, can buy you quite a lot by the time it filters through the economy to you know, the end person, the end saver, let's say, the retiree, it's, it, it will buy a lot less already because uh, if, if inflation rates are high enough, you know, per pound. Uh, so they'll do that. So that's sort of a, another reason to believe that inflation is here to stay. And they'll also, um, you know, they'll hit the easy targets in terms of taxation. So wealth taxes um, and corporation taxes, higher higher taxes on companies probably. Because most people don't understand that um, taxes on companies are just a cost of doing business. And companies have to cover that somehow if they're going to stay in business. So if you rack up the taxes high enough, they just have they just have to keep increasing their prices. So ultimately, it's just the ordinary punters that pay. It's not the, not the companies. They just collect tax on behalf of the government without uh, damaging the um, doing damage in the eyes of the voters. So it'd be high taxes. It'll be money printing. Social unrest likely because of inflation, because um, then there are constant wage demands, for example, or people want more handouts from the government, um, which is understandable. I mean, let's face it, if the prices of things are going up, of course, people want to be paid more or get more handouts. I get it. The trouble is, unless the government grows up and actually solves the core problem, um, you know, that, that unrest doesn't go away. Um, and it can get extreme. Here in Argentina, I read something yesterday, actually. Uh, which is since 2017, the um, average salary uh, in real terms is down about 25%. So people have lost 25% of their earnings in, in inflation-adjusted terms. Now, um, in the UK, I think I think I read something fairly recently saying that people are down about 3% or something in the last year. But uh, And that's obviously a pain. But imagine losing a quarter of your spending power for, for the average person, this is this is gigantic. And this is where it heads. You know, it's, it's just irresponsible government, and it all comes down to overspending, overpromising, printing too much money, and it's a downward spiral. And I fear that um, large swathes of the, the the developed world are on that cusp now, finally on that cusp of losing control of this because their debts are so high, um, and their tax base is so high already and their government spending is so high already you know the the temptation is to spend more to prop things up to borrow more to prop things up but that you know eventually you reach a, a tipping point where people stop funding you and the currency crashes and all the rest of it so it's not going to be pretty i'm afraid in lots of countries yeah i think this is the crux of it i remember paul volker saying in the eight i don't remember i remember reading that he said in the 80s that uh, the uh, the average american standard of living must fall and it effectively became his job to impose that by hiking interest rates. But the point being that if you're living unsustainable for a certain amount of time, eventually it's going to end. And the interest bill then is also going to come due. Let's turn, though, to the, the financial. Well, uh, can, I just say one, can I just say one point on that quickly? I also read something recently about um, the kind of equivalent of the federal min minimum wage in the U.S. Uh, is down sharply. It's down something like 30 percent since the 60s and 70s. So on that basis, you know, when Volcker was around, the average sort of working person probably did all right and could, and could cope with a bit of a squeeze. 
And also people were, I think, a bit tougher mentally in those days, frankly. Um, I don't think now in our in our woke world, when people are already, you know, squeezed quite hard, I don't think they could, they would cope with that kind of, um, you know, reduction in their standard of living. And, and you just end up with a bad populist politics. Sorry, you were asking yeah. me a question about investment. That that's where the that's my fear is that this this goes down the uh, the bad politics route because the you know the printing money the money trees has exhausted itself. But um yeah the financial side of this I've been writing about how bad news doesn't necessarily mean bad news for the stock market and not just because central banks will come and rescue but because there's other factors at play determining financial and investment returns and I think you've you've taught me a lot about that. Um, with the outperformance of tobacco stocks. And it couldn't have been anything worse, you would have thought, than tobacco stocks over the last how many years, 10 or 20 years, and yet they've, they've performed quite well. So take us through what you're looking for as uh, investment opportunities, despite all the doom and gloom and the negativity that we've just been through. Yeah, I mean, there's always opportunity somewhere. Um, at times, there's a lot of it, and at times, there's not very much of it. We're in a difficult period at the moment because. Um, this rapid change in the interest rate environment is putting pressure on valuations of lots of things. So lots of prices are down, even if the underlying companies are doing very well. And in many cases, you know, I, I own shares in some companies, they're doing extremely well, their profits are growing, but the share prices are still falling in this in the short term because everything's being dragged down. Um, but by and large, what I'm looking for, I, I mean, I think everyone should have a um, good allocation to gold because I think there is a lot of currency risk out there and, and there will be financial crises and that's good insurance against those. On the stock market side, though, um, essentially, I'm looking for companies that are a profitable, generate cash inflows, so they're po cash positive, uh, generate free cash flow, um, that have low or no debts, uh, particularly uh, unless they have very, very um, stable sorts of businesses like tobacco can carry quite a bit of debt. But in, by and large, I want I want low or no debts, which means that. Um, doesn't mean they have, have to have zero debt, but you want their cash to be nearly as big as or bigger than their debt side. Um, in industries that can increase their prices in the fa face of inflation, um, and ideally are market leaders in whatever niche they're in, or you know, at least am among the group of market leaders in the niche niches that they're in, and th which means that they'll, you know, if they if they've got low debts and they're market leaders then they should be able to get through any recession and probably gain market share as weaker competitors fall by the wayside who have weaker balance sheets or less market position. So those are the sorts of things I'm looking at. And, um, you know, it's going to be a rough ride. It is a rough ride already. And you just have to be patient. And, um, you know, you, if you sit on such uh, companies that are paying healthy dividends to you in the meantime, and you're getting a nice, nice income along the way, the price will go up and down and up and down and up and down. But over, say, five years, Chances are you'll come out of it quite nicely, um, and then and then along the way, uh, look for what I call crisis vacations. So whenever there's a big crash in a sector or a country, wait a couple of months, let it settle down, and then um, take your money on vacation there, take it on holiday there, because chances are it's oversold and it's very cheap, and it will recover again over the um, coming months and years. And you see that repeatedly. And um, where I'm sitting, there have been lots of opportunities like that over the years. Place crashes due to whatever reason, debt default, currency crisis, hyperinflation. Um, you pile in and, um, you know, things can go up two, three, four, five times over the next sort of three, four, five years.
So you were investing in the UK about four weeks ago then? Um, <laughs> well, <laughs> frankly, um, despite what the media may have said, I don't think there was an economic crisis in the UK, nor do I think there's one yet um, happening. There is going to be a recession. Uh, there is going to be a drop in house prices, almost certainly, in my opinion, as mortgage rates go up. Um, it is going to be a, a bit of a rocky ride, but it's certainly not what I would qualify as an economic crisis. It's nowhere near that, in fact, yet. So the 5% drop in the pound was not enough for you, Rob. But I hope uh, we've, we've provided some context for the people at home during this mad week of central bank decisions where all the focus was on quite frankly, a cartel of interest rate manipulators trying to control the world. Rob, thanks for joining us. Everyone home, thanks for watching.